Hello, everyone. Good evening, and welcome to Teen Scientist. I'm Raina Malhotra, your host, and doing our audio engineering is Sarit Lashinsky. On Teen Scientist, I aim to bring you all stories of groundbreaking innovation in the STEM disciplines entirely from a youth perspective. To do so, we feature young researchers and respected experts in their fields at the local, regional, and national levels. Tonight's guest is Alex Minghao Lee, who's actually a friend of mine that I made through competing in national science fairs this year, and so I'm really excited to have him join us today. Welcome, Alex. How are you? Hi, Raina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. That's great to hear, and thank you so much for making the time to join us here on Teen Scientist. Now, before we get started, could you briefly tell us about yourself and your background? Yeah. So, hi. My name is Alex. I'm 18 years old. I'm a senior this year at Iolani School, which is a private school in Honolulu, Hawaii. I'm really interested in biology and economics and all things related to being outdoors. Great. And so what are your major interests and hobbies right now? I really enjoy playing tennis. I'm the team captain for my school's varsity tennis team this year, and we got second in the state, so that's pretty cool. I also love surfing. It's just something about, like, being out in the ocean that takes away all my worries and helps me stay in the moment. I'm also a certified lifeguard. Fortunately, I've never had to apply those skills to anyone, but it's definitely a good skill to have, especially since I want to go into the medical field. Aside from sports, I'm also an executive co-chair for my school's annual family fair that helps fund our school's student travel. And so my job is to help plan and organize the fairgrounds, which have rides, games, and food for 40,000 people to come and have fun. Cool. Well, you seem to be keeping yourself busy. Um, I now want to touch on your actual science interests. Have you always been interested in science? And how did that interest kind of develop? Was it something that you gradually became more interested in as you got older? So this is actually a funny story. But growing up, my mom would read me scientific articles as bedtime stories. And so over time, that quirk kind of developed into my love for science, I guess. And before you say anything, I just want to say that I think it was a brilliant idea because number one, I love science now. And number two, if I ever thought an article was too boring, I would fall asleep. So it was a win-win for both sides. Yeah, it sounds like it. So is your mom someone that is working in a STEM-related field too? Yeah, she's a doctor, an acupuncturist to be exact. All right. So would you say that working, because my parents are physicians too, would you say that growing up in that kind of environment definitely influenced where you are today? Oh, yeah, 100%. I've always admired both my parents so much. And I think that's also part of the reason why I have so much love for STEM. And I know you kind of shared that story, but would you say there was like a particular moment or experience that you had in your childhood that, you know, ignited your curiosity in the fields that you're kind of working in today? I wouldn't say there was a particular moment. I've always liked being on the edge as a kid and testing my limits. And I just feel like research is really about applying your knowledge and really pushing forward and pushing new limits to discover new science. I wouldn't say there was a particular moment, but it definitely fit with my interests. Absolutely. And what kind of resources did you have access to when you were younger that actually allowed you to grow that interest that you always had? Um, I would say the biggest resource was my parents. But besides that, 
a big factor was the internet. I found myself just falling into a rabbit hole online, reading random articles or journals. And yeah, it was just really inspiring and really helpful. Now, before we dive into your most recent research project, could you give us an overview of the other scientific or research experiences that you've had prior to your most recent study? So, yeah, this was actually my first research project that I've ever done. I've done some volunteer work in emergency rooms at hospitals, and I shadowed some doctors through their surgeries, but I really had no experience prior to the project that I am currently working on. So what kind of pushed you to, you know, try something new that you've never done before? I guess I just, I wanted to differentiate myself and make myself unique and, I don't know, try something new, test the boundaries, push the limits, something like that. And would you say it was intimidating getting started? Was there anything that you were afraid of or were you just, you know, going into it with no worries at all? I was definitely, I had a lot of, I faced a lot of challenges going into this because it was my first time doing it. But I think I've had a lot of help. My mentors were really supportive. And so they really helped walk me through all the things that I need to do and all the things I need to know. So you've never done any science fairs before or was this your first year? Yeah, this was my first year doing research and also my first year doing any sort of science fair. If you had to go back, you know, and restart this year, was there anything that you'd want to change about your science fair experience? I would say to just trust the process. I feel like a lot of the times I got down or I felt that I wasn't enough, but really I just uh, have to trust the process, trust myself, and always know that there's a plan. Were there any challenges that you faced while transitioning from being interested in science to actively engaging in research, and how did you overcome those obstacles? Uh, Yeah, there was a good amount of challenges. I basically started off as a volunteer at the lab, so I was just cleaning surfaces, autoclaving tubes, and doing like random pipette work, and it really took me some time to familiarize myself with the lab and all its equipment. But again, like I said earlier, I had great mentors, the best mentors, and they really helped me make my transition very smooth. And you mentioned your work in a lab. Can you talk about how exactly you got that position? Because I know, especially as a high school student, it can be really hard for students to get positions at advanced research areas. So can you walk us through that whole process of how you got your position? Yeah, I just cold emailed a bunch of professors that I thought were like really interesting. I read a couple of their publications and I reached out to them and told them that if they were willing to take me, I would love to just be a volunteer there in their lab to help them clean up and do like menial tasks. One of the professors that I emailed, Dr. Alika Manakea, who is my PI, he responded and he said that he offered me a position as a volunteer. And uh, so Dr. Alika Maunakea, he's an associate professor at the University of Hawaii, John A. Burns School of Medicine. How I found him was I read some of his articles and I found them to be really interesting. So I decided to reach out and I worked as a volunteer, as I said earlier, but through that experience, I really got to know him and the rest of the lab really well. And because of that, he offered me the chance to work on the research project that I took to ISAF. 
now I want to kind of transition into what exactly your research project was about. So diving right into that, could you briefly explain what your project was covering? The purpose of my project was to find a biomarker that could indicate the risks of developing diabetic nephropathy, which is a kidney disease and a leading killer in people who have type 2 diabetes. And so how I approached them finding that biomarker was I used 192 human blood samples, a microarray analysis, and the qPCR. And I found that microRNA-488, which is this specific microRNA, could be a potential biomarker that could indicate the risks of developing diabetic nephropathy. Cool. And can you explain to our listeners what is microRNA or mRNA and how does that entire process work? Right. So microRNAs in general are short, non-coding RNAs that post-transcriptionally regulate gene expression. And this specific microRNA, microRNA-488, the reason why I chose this was I first looked at the differences in DNA methylation between people who had type 2 diabetes and people who don't have type 2 diabetes. And based on those results, I came to the conclusion that microRNA-488 was the best candidate. And so after that, I quantified microRNA-488 concentrations within the actual cells inside a human blood sample, um, within the MOS cells from the human blood samples using a qPCR, and I found that it was significantly increased. So I concluded that it could be a potential biomarker. And can you tell us a little bit about how you got interested in this type of diabetes? Was it something that you just worked on based on your lab, or was it like a personal interest too? One of the reasons why I also reached out to Dr. Maunakea was because he focuses a lot on type 2 diabetes research, and type 2 diabetes runs in my dad's side of the family. This project really was just my way of fighting back and responding to the disease. And can you walk us through how you designed your research study and explain the methodology that you used to investigate the role of microRNA in type 2 diabetes? I took the approach by first looking at the differences in DNA methylation. And so what DNA methylation is, it's the bonding and removal of methyl groups on DNA to regulate gene expression. And so because DNA methylation can influence gene expression, which can ultimately influence the concentrations of molecules within a cell, I looked at the differences in DNA methylation between non-diabetics and diabetics to give me an idea of what genes could be potential biomarkers. And so after that, I put those genes that were significantly differentially methylated into this software analysis called Ingenuity Pathway Analysis. And what that software analysis does is it relates genes to previously researched pathways or previous literature. And because type 2 diabetes can be caused by systemic inflammation, I looked at the genes that were related to inflammatory response by previous literature. And I, based on the results of that, I also did a, like another literature review on my own, just looking at the genes and to see if they've been related to type 2 diabetes in the past. And I found that microRNA-488 
was actually found to be related to the development of diabetic nephropathy in cultured mesangial cells, which are like lab-made specialized kidney cells. So I then decided to quantify this gene's product within the actual monocyte cell to see if it can actually be used as a biomarker. And you just went through a lot of relatively complex processes that aren't typically covered in the standard school classroom. So how would you say you went about familiarizing yourself with these kind of complicated things? Like, was it mostly through literature reviews or was it your mentor who helped you out? How would you advise our listeners to also step outside what's typically covered in a classroom? I think it's a combination of both. Read a lot of literature, read what you're interested in, and also ask a lot of questions My mentors were so awesome because they were so willing to answer all of my questions. Whether it was simple or hard, they were willing to answer it, and I was willing to ask them. And I think that's a big factor in how I was able to learn all these complex uh, things. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing part of your story with us and giving our listeners some more insight on your experiences and background. Before we continue, we do need to pause for a quick break. But when we return, Alex will continue discussing his research project this year and also share some more advice for other aspiring scientists. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Teen Scientist. Thank you to the members of WDIY for making all the programming you hear possible. Becoming a WDIY member is the best way to support your listening and to ensure WDIY will be here for the next person in our community to discover. Make your membership gift today at 610-694-8100 extension 4 or WDIY.org. We couldn't be here without you. Welcome back to Teen Scientist on WDIY. I'm your host, Raina Malhotra, and tonight's guest is Alex Lee, who's joining us all the way from Hawaii. We just finished discussing his background and early experiences with science, and now we're going to continue discussing his award-winning research project from this year. So diving right back into it, Alex, what were some of the key findings from your research, and did you discover major correlations between microRNA levels and the prognosis of type 2 diabetes? Yeah. I found that microRNA-488 levels were significantly increased in people with type 2 diabetes, indicating that microRNA-488 is a potential biomarker because it was significantly increased. And I also found through literature review that this microRNA-488 was related to the development of diabetic nephropathy. So I concluded that it could be a potential biomarker that can indicate the risks of developing diabetic nephropathy. Were there any major surprises or unexpected results that came out from your research, and how did you interpret and analyze those findings? So I did most of the quantification experiments within the monocyte cells, and I wanted to repeat that experiment, but test the concentrations of microRNA-488 in the plasma of like human blood because it would just be much easier and much quicker, easier, and more affordable if this were to be really implemented into hospitals or clinics. And so I read online and um, literature reviewed that microRNAs in general travel in like these vesicles or exosomes throughout the plasma. 
So I thought that maybe since it was increased in monocyte cells, that maybe it would also be increased within the plasma. And I did the experiments, and microRNA-488 concentrations were increased in the plasma. However, the differences between like the non-diabetics and the diabetics were not statistically significant. I interpreted it as it wasn't statistically significant and that it couldn't be like the microRNA-488 concentrations within the plasma couldn't be used as a biomarker. But I think if I increased my sample size, then maybe we would see a difference in the significance. Uh, I now want to zoom out a little bit and ask, in your opinion, what you think the impact of this discovery as of microRNA as a potential biomarker could have on the field of medicine and patient care. Before I really get into that, I want to first acknowledge that Native Hawaiians and other Pacific Islanders have a much higher rate of developing type 2 diabetes than the rest of the world. And so this project, or like my findings of this project, would greatly help all people who have type 2 diabetes, including the Native Hawaiians and other Pacific Islanders, because if we're able to test the risks of developing a complication of type 2 diabetes early on, we'll also be able to implement preventative strategies such as a change in diet and exercise early on, and we could possibly prevent this complication from ever developing, which would be the best case scenario. So we already touched on this before, but I want to ask again from a more different kind of perspective in terms of like your entire research career, what were some of the biggest challenges or obstacles that you encountered? It can be anywhere from between like finding a position in the lab to even presenting your work at science fairs. What would you say was the hardest part that you found and how did you face that? I want to say the hardest part was doing the actual experiments It was really long hours, especially since I had 192 samples to work through. I had to isolate the DNA from monocyte cells and isolate monocyte cells from human blood samples. And so it was a very long process. I think the protocols would take me like nine hours a day to finish. So it was definitely like a grind. But I overcame this by listening to a lot of Drake and Taylor Swift on the bench just pumping into my ears. And uh, (laughs) I also made sure to take breaks whenever I needed it and to just focus on the task at hand so I wouldn't feel super overwhelmed with everything that I had to do. Definitely. And I can absolutely relate to the Taylor Swift while I'm doing my experiments. Very relatable. All right. So are there any follow-up studies or areas of research that you think should be explored based on your findings? And what other potential directions do you see for further investigation? As I mentioned earlier briefly, I want to expand my sample size just to validate my findings. I also plan on checking the concentrations of microRNA-488 in monocytes of patients at different stages of type 2 diabetes. So I could further characterize microRNA-488 time course and to compare the concentrations and if there's a difference in concentrations when the patients are at different stages of type 2 diabetes. I also plan on 
analyzing which genes microRNA-488 regulates to get a better understanding of its presence. And lastly, I plan on following up in two years with the participants of this study to see if any of them have developed diabetic nephropathy so that I could relate diabetic nephropathy to these patients' current microRNA-488 concentrations to see if it could actually be an effective predictive tool. Cool. And I wish you best of luck with all your future endeavors in this area of research. I also now want to <laughs> I also now want to touch on the fact that you've won an international award for this project by earning a grand award at the International Science and Engineering Fair or ICEF this year. Firstly, congratulations. That's an amazing accomplishment. Thank you. But I also want to ask what inspired you to even submit your work to this fair and did you ever expect to walk out with a grand award like this one? No, I I didn't expect to walk out with a grand award. Definitely not. But what inspired me to submit my work was really my research teacher at school. She kept pushing me and to submit my work. She thought I did a lot of work and I should at least try to compete in the district competition. And so I submitted my work into the district competition and I got second in districts and that qualified me for ICEF. So I really just decided to just do it. <laughs> I don't know. And how was your ICEF experience overall? And what was your favorite part out of everything? My favorite part was just meeting all the different people that I met from different places. It was really interesting to talk to them, especially hearing like their perspectives and where they're from and what they're going through. And it's also super cool because everyone there has a love for science. And it's not every day where you meet someone and you can blurt out your entire research project and they'll completely understand it, and they'll think it's super interesting, and they'll tell you their research project, and you'll think it's super interesting and super inspiring, and it's just such an amazing place to be at. Going back to your question about expecting to walk out with a grand award, I definitely was not expecting a grand award at all. I was really shocked when they called my name, and it was because I had less judges than everyone else. I think we both had seven judges, right? Yeah. We also, for our listeners, for a quick background, Alex and I were both in the same category at ISEF. So that's one of the places where we met. And we also met at an earlier fair called the National Junior Science and Humanities Symposium. We work in similar areas, but finish what you were saying about the judges. Yeah, I had seven. Yeah. Everyone, I think, supposedly was supposed to have seven, and you could have like extra judges or special award judges that would come if they thought your research was interesting to them. And I actually had less than seven judges because one of my judges didn't show up, and so I only had six, whereas everyone around me had eight, nine, or ten. So I really thought that my research wasn't interesting to any of the judges, and I just did not expect them to call my name that day. Well, expect the unexpected. (laughs) Um, And congratulations again on your award. I also now want to touch on your paper that you contributed to the publishing of at your lab. Can you walk us through the process of publishing your work and explain how this experience contributed to your growth as a young scientist? It's a lot longer than I thought it would be. I thought writing the actual paper was the hardest part. 
And I guess it's kind of the hardest part too, but really it's publishing that takes a really long time. I remember we aimed to have that paper published by, I think, September, but it didn't get published until sometime in April. And that was just because there are like some technical things or like the journal that we'd submitted to, they saw some things, they made some edits and it was just like a back and forth process. And I definitely didn't expect it to be so back and forth. I thought it was like a one and done thing. It's nice to know for the future. And yeah, it's nice to know for the future. Also, science can be a very complex and challenging idea to communicate to wider audiences. So how did you approach presenting your research to both scientific communities and general audiences like this one? Were there any strategies that you found particularly effective? Yeah, um, I would say just try your best to connect with your audience. Judges are humans too. Like Your listeners are humans too. And even though your research and your presentation, it's very black and white. This is my experiments. This is what I did. This is what I researched, what I read. I really tried my best to show that I'm also a human being and that I'm like a person who can laugh and be happy and be sad. And I think that was a big strategy to communicating my work. I tried my best to make my presentation very conversational. So I asked the judges and other listeners questions while I was presenting just to make sure that they knew certain things or that they were familiar with certain things. And I didn't expect them to know it. It just helps them stay proactive in their listening. And I guess it also helps me gauge how much I need to explain. Because at ISEF, the judges had to go through a long day of judging. And so I knew that they would zone out if I just started talking and talking. So I really tried my best to show that I'm human and connect with them and just to make them proactive and present. I now kind of want to wrap up by asking you, Two quick questions. First, what are your plans for the future? Do you have any big goals in terms of research and careers? And also, you're a senior, so your college plans as well. I hope I can take this research project to college, or hopefully I can finish it up this summer. I want to do one of the future experiments that I was talking about earlier, testing the to see if any of those participants have diabetic nephropathy before I try and publish this research. And for college, I'm planning on going to UPenn in Philadelphia, or the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, where, yeah, it's, um, I'm excited, but I'm also like a little bit anxious, I want to say, because Hawaii to uh, Philadelphia is very different, I want to say. And I feel like I'm going to have a big culture shock, and it's going to be really cold there too, and I'm not the best at cold, so we'll see how it goes. But, well, yeah, I'm really excited to be at UPenn and be in Philadelphia. Yeah, no, maybe I'm a little bit biased because I'm a Pennsylvanian, but I think you will have an amazing time, and the weather is not that bad. And lastly, um, what piece of advice would you give to our young listeners who are also interested in pursuing scientific research or engaging in STEM fields? If you already know that you want to do something in STEM, that's already amazing. Like that's, I feel like that was the hardest part for me was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. Even though like I grew up in such a STEM-based environment, 
I still had other interests and really coming to that final conclusion that I want to do this and I want to give it a try. That's like a big part. So kudos to that. If you know what you want to do, just don't be scared to reach out to people who are already doing what you want to do. Because I think that was the easiest way to learn was just to ask people who are already doing what you want to do and ask them if they would be willing to teach you or if you could just volunteer for them and learn from them because you can learn a lot. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you and your research? I have a LinkedIn. If you look up Alex Lee, that's A-L-E-X space L-E-E, you can find me. And for my research project, I think the best place to learn more about it would really just be my ISEF virtual board. If you look up virtual boards from this year, 2023, and you look up uh, Ming Hao Li, that's M-I-N-G dash H-A-O space L-E-E in the cell and molecular biology category, you can find my project and everything there is to know about it there. Thank you so much for joining us, Alex. We really appreciate you sharing your research and experiences with us. And it's been so inspiring to see other high school students make such powerful impacts on the world. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me right now. Absolutely. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to Teen Scientist tonight. I'm Raina Malhotra, and I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this program, please go to WDIY.org or the WDIY app to share or become a WDIY member.